love music, live sport. Talking football with Bill Young and Hugh Burns on Rock Sport Radio. Good evening and welcome to Talking Football for this Wednesday night. Hugh Burns in the studio with me tonight. You can listen on DAB Digital Radio, online at rocksportradio.co.uk, via your smartphone and smart speaker. Uh, That's using the TuneIn and the Radiogram apps. And you can also watch the programme live as you do in your numbers uh, on Facebook, on Twitter and on Periscope. A lot to talk about tonight. First of all, uh, let me just say uh, we'd like to send out our deepest condolences to the friends, the families and all the colleagues of uh, John Fleming at the SFA, John Head of Refereeing at the uh, National Football Authority and uh, passed away sadly after a long illness today. So uh, our heart goes out and our condolences go out to his family, his friends and all his colleagues at the SFA. And we'll start by speaking to Kevin Toner, a member of the SFA's Referee Committee in just a moment, about John's career and and, uh, talk about the influence and the legacy that he'll leave in terms of refereeing. Uh, We're going to talk to Brian Ferguson. Uh, Brian, of course, an old friend of the programme. We spoke to him regularly when he was on... uh, uh, he was manager at Stenhouse Muir, now at Linlithgow Rose, and we'll find out the difference being at a club like Linlithgow Rose and Stenhouse Muir, uh, and I have a suspicion it may not be that great. Um, and I don't mean that great being there, I mean that great indifference between them. Um, we'll also talk to Paul Goodwin. Both Rangers and Celtic fans have been warned by the clubs to behave during the Europa League uh, matches. Rangers away at Porto and Celtic obviously at home uh, to Lazio. And we'll speak to Nima Tavalli, uh, who will speak to us. He's a, a, an Italian football journalist that we speak to on a regular occasion. And uh, we'll find out more about Lazio. But first, the sad news today that John Fleming passed away. Um, John, I think it's uh, the last eight years or so, maybe longer. Uh, but Kevin Toner will tell us about that. Being head of refereeing at the SFA. Kevin is on the, the SFA's referee committee and was a full-time referee himself. Uh, Kevin, first of all, this is a, a very, very sad day. Uh, we've had John in at the station um, talking to Maureen McGonigal um, and was talking about women and, and refereeing and things like that. Th- this is really quite a vacuum that, that's going to be left by John, isn't it? Oh, very much so. Um, you know, John uh, dedicated, uh, you know, the last uh, 35, 40 years um, to refereeing and uh, his time in the SFA. Uh, was a lot of change going through at that time. And uh, you mentioned women's football, which he was a great supporter of and has developed, uh, you know, a cohort of uh, lady referees who are doing extremely well. Um, he had a great focus on youth uh, refereeing because uh, one of the hardest jobs is uh, attracting and retaining young referees and getting them through the different ranks to hopefully get to the top end of the game. So he worked very, very hard behind the scenes. Uh, you know, most people see the, 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 the stuff that we see on TV or in the papers all the time. But John focused a lot on the juniors and the amateurs, uh, and that sort of level of football to try and make it as uh, professional and make sure they were supported as much as possible. In, in public perception, I'm going to bring Hugh Burns in in a minute, who's in the studio with me, and uh, and yep. I'll hear what Hugh's got to say and, and various things he'll want to ask you, I'm sure, Kevin. But in terms of public perception, it's a thankless job, the one that, that John had, sadly. Uh, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And it's Correct. been a particularly turbulent time last season, of course, 
How did he cope with that kind of criticism, whether it was founded or unfounded? Well, I think John, one of John's um, best attributes was a lot of things were very black and white to him. Um, so the laws of the game uh, were the laws of the game, which was a great starting point for him because that's what we based or he based most of his responses on. But at heart, you know, he was a he's a football fan. He absolutely loved the game. So when he was getting that pressure from uh, managers or press comment, he really understood the stresses and strains that uh, clubs and individuals go through. So John would spend a lot of the time uh, speaking with managers. He was always open to talking to um, any of the teams that got in touch with him. And he would always try and take the emotion out of it. He really understood, as I say, the pressures that the guys were under and the impact of refereeing decisions, right or wrong, that they could have on a match uh, or a, a cup competition or... Uh, John would work really, really hard at uh, trying to understand, but also trying to make sure that the person on the other end of the phone fully understood why certain things happened the way they did or why they had to stick by the decisions because it was part of the laws of the game. But uh, I think it was one of uh, you know the things that John really pushed was that you only had to pick up the phone or pop into the SFA and he would make time to sit down with you and try and find a solution to it. Mr Burns was never particularly popular with the men in black, I have to say. And he's... I didn't mind him too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, cheers, mate. <laughs> uh, you're the only referee that's ever said that, Kevin. Seamless. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, and he has... Look, everybody's been critical of referees at some point, and especially over the last sure. season. But I'm sure, I'm sure you know, Hugh, you, you appreciate yeah. how difficult a job like, like John Fleming's no, actually no, was. No doubt about it, Kevin, when even, you know, we've got stuff in front of us here and it's 62. Let's just, oh, I know. Re- you know, reflect on that for a couple of minutes. You know I mean? That is just unbelievable. A guy that, that dedicated his life to the game and obviously um, falling foul of many a referee. John was one of the guys, he was he was kind of old school as well, wasn't he, Kevin, where he would be a wee bit more understanding than than the, the guys who are, are maybe a wee bit more regimental now. And that's just goes with the territory. But, um, you know, and it's amazing to think as well if there was a controversial decision, and we've got big Charlie Richmond that comes on on a Tuesday, we would yeah. often use John's name, wouldn't we, here? Yeah. You know, and saying, mm-hmm. you know, right, well, we need to get John Fleming in here to clarify this and clarify that. And it was a name that... That we dripped off the tongue. Everybody knew that John Fleming was was head of refereeing, but the idea of him being a referee and then going into that, then you would you would yeah. listen to a wee bit more of what he had to say. But you know, our thoughts go out to his family and a long illness. It's sixty two. Life is so unfair for a guy that had you know years and years ahead of him. Um, I can oh, only absolutely. offer my condolences. It's a, it's an absolute tragedy, Kevin. Kevin, let me ask you this as well. I, I mean, look, a, a lot of the situation in terms of law changes, the, the national associations have very little say in on occasions, and and you have to implement them as best you can. Um, how, how well did did John adjust to those things, uh, and and how much did he try to give input to the the people who ultimately would be making the laws in terms of being head of our referees uh, and a national association? Uh, I mean, what kind of kind of input did he did he put in? I'm assuming he used to go as a delegate to various meetings about yeah. things like that. Yeah, John would be consulted uh, from the very start uh, on anything connected with uh, law changes. 
Um, uh, his uh, way of working again would be to make sure that he came back and shared it with uh, colleagues within the SFA, share it with um, his observers or his more senior referees, gather uh, comment uh, and views. And they are, you know, some of the changes might seem quite straightforward, but they are discussed and debated at length to make sure that they're understood because any change to the law, uh, which again you're maybe witnessing at the highest level, applies to Red Ash Parks on a Saturday afternoon, mm-hmm. apply, you know, and, and is applied all over the world. Um, and and you know, having to make sure that what is said in English is also translated properly um, in all the languages across the world to make sure that everybody understands uh, what these changes are. But John also introduced and, and pushed really hard on trying to make sure he could get uh, out and around the clubs. He would have the managers in at the beginning of the season, go through in detail what the changes were, answer all their questions, make sure they understood it, but also make sure referees were available if clubs at any level wanted someone to come along and go through the detail. John works very, very hard to try and build those relationships between the clubs and the referees. What was his What was his thinking, Kevin? If I can ask, on the way that technology has been introduced to the game. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. at this point, we don't have goal line technology or VAR. Uh, and although yeah. although a lot of people have been advocates for VAR, I'm I'm still not sure. Um, sure. that it's it's working the way that it's meant to work or they would like it to work. And so therefore, sure. maybe inadvertently, we've actually done the right thing uh, by hanging back from it. But what was John's feelings about technology? And I mean, let's move even from the most simple of technology with officials being mic'd up. Sure. Um, I think, um, I suppose it's like any walk of life. As you introduce um, technology, people are, are nervous about it, and a lot of people will say it was better the way it used to be. Um, I think if you take the example of an, an assistant referee, or a linesman as we used to call them, um, you know, when I was running the line, when I was coming through, you had a flag, and that was it. You had the, you know, to try and attract the referee's attention, but basically you had a flag. The technology on that then improves where you have a, a, a buzzer introduced on the flag to attract the referee's attention. Mm-hmm. So you move from a flag to a flag with a buzzer. You then move from that to where they're now mic'd up and in constant conversation with uh, the referee. So you have the referee, the assistants, and the fourth official all talking to each other. Each of these things were uncomfortable as they were introduced. That is the more you use them and the more you understand how to get a benefit from them, then you definitely do improve things. Um, the things like uh, VAR and goal line technology, uh, yeah, I, I guess it's just like before we had these things, there's always going to be controversy. There's always going to be differences of opinion. There's always going to be personal interpretation. I think John was very, very objective in the way he looked at things. This black and white thing you have. He didn't allow subjectivity, his opinion, what he thought or what he felt. He was very, very good at drilling down to what the actual was. So, uh, again, his influence on these changes would have been someone, uh, uh, as I said at the beginning. Remember, John started off refereeing, you know, in the amateurs, up through the juniors, up through the reserves, into the seniors. So, yeah, really, really broad understanding uh, uh, of the game at uh, uh, all levels. Um and he would bring all that experience to bear um, on maybe newer or younger 
uh, officials that are involved in these things because it's in the game from the coalface. So there's a really experienced man with uh, solid opinions. Kevin, come on a Monday, Bill and I are often talking about you know referees and decisions and what have you, and, and we, we would like obviously more referees to come out and 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 talk about decisions, which it doesn't happen. Hopefully, it'll come along the line. Yeah. Would 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 John personally speak to the guys, you know, maybe after matches, or would referees speak to John? How how was he like that as the head of the refereeing, you know, speaking to referees maybe after a bad decision? Was was he always uh, there for the refs, Kevin? I think the, the argument would always be, you know, why did they not phone us when they all made really good decisions? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's but true. I, th- yes. I think, again, you're a sort of band of brothers when you're involved in refereeing because, right. um, you know, uh, because of what it is and because of the focus and sure. much more nowadays with the yeah. TV coverage. Yeah, yeah. But John would definitely, he would contact people that were maybe under pressure right. or, or maybe had made a, a, a mistake and again. He would definitely proactively get in touch with them. Right. In the same vein, he would support referees who actually had done the right thing but were being pilloried because people didn't understand the decision. Yeah, okay. Um, so again, he would be proactive in either pulling someone up and talking it through with them and making sure they learned from it, or indeed um, supporting them where he knew they were right and making sure they were okay. Kevin, when you look back over the eight years that John was in charge and in this particular role, what do you think his legacy will be? How will people remember in in Scottish football John Fleming in in terms of, you know, the legacy that he leaves in, in, in terms of refereeing? I think the main thing I would say would be his consistency. So he didn't go with fashion or trends or, or what was happening in the game or what the latest headlines. He was a real, I know this might sound quite dull, but a real sort of steady Eddie. Mm-hmm. You could find him, he was always the same. He and he got rid of a lot of structures that used to be involved in the refereeing movement, which were historical, um, because he knew they weren't right for the current times. He worked really hard on improving training and diet and technology and um, as I said earlier, uh, particularly hard with the young people he worked uh, in terms of recruitment and trying to retain them. So um, his legacy for me, and he saw through that whole period of more video coming in, social media coming in and all the dangers that that brings, he managed that with just a sort of steady hand on the tiller um, to make sure that we everybody could trust him. And that's me talking about referees or clubs or players or managers. Uh, they, you took him as you found him, and the way you found him was always this decent gentleman who loved the game and tried to do his best by everyone. How difficult did it make his life and that of referees with the advent of social media, where everybody had an opinion, everybody could voice that opinion, and nobody had yeah. to really hold back in the way that it was done? I mean, how big a problem did that become in terms of John's job? Not not too big a problem in in terms of the majority of referees um, completely ignore social media, um, and quite rightly too, because you know the sort of people that would tend to uh, make the sort of comments uh, deliberately designed to upset or whatever. So you'll find that the vast majority of referees, and I'm sorry to disappoint people that think they do read it, they will not subscribe to most social media. Um, John's main focus on social media was retrospective, which was to make sure that younger officials or uh, referees or assistants um, didn't go to social media to voice their own opinions. 
So a lot of the time he was policing it back the way for, uh, as I say, mainly with younger people coming through. Uh, because you have that, um, you know, younger people coming through today have been on Facebook or Twitter for, you know, going through school and out mm-hmm. through early employment, and then suddenly they're thrust into the the, the public arena. Um, so it's just making sure that they understood the the, the, the positives and the negatives of uh, social media. So again, it would, John would give you very strict guidelines of what his expectations were of you as a referee and representing. Uh, the Scottish Football and the Scottish Football Association. Kevin, I see John was eight years in that role. Who did he succeed there? Uh, and and did, did he have a lot of work to do when when he went in all those years ago? Because obviously, you know... That... Well, sorry, Kevin. I'm sorry, I need to go. No, no, it was just basically the, the amount of work that, that that's, you know, curtailed, you know, involved with that type of job. So, you know, who, uh-huh. did he, who, who was in that position before? And, and, and what well, is he... Previous people in it. Uh, like Hugh Dallas or George Cummings or Donald McVicker. Right. So there's a, a fair heritage of, of, of people who all had um, mm-hmm. di- different influences. Yeah. I think John's main uh, one, as I say, um, previous guys uh, that were involved were trying to make refereeing more professional, as I say, make training more professional, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting good kit, um, setting up sort of new structures. When John came in, a lot of the game had been really professionalised for the higher-end referees. Right. And John sort of took that wee step back and say, said, right, but we need to make sure that the, we've got the right people coming through of the right standard. Right. Um, so his focus, uh, while he fully supported uh, our FIFA referees and our, our, our senior referees, mm-hmm. he just took it down a notch as well to make sure we were getting the right quality of people coming through. Grassroots and starting all the way up. Yeah, it, yeah. It, that he really supported the uh, young uh, female referees, which was, um, uh, you know, a new thing that was developing. But mm-hmm. uh, he was very close to uh, 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 the female referees and get them Involved. to the levels that they're yeah. now operating yeah. at. Yeah, absolutely. Kevin, it's a sad day. Thank you for Thanks, sharing Kevin. your memories and All shedding a wee bit of an insight into the life and, and professional life of uh, of John Fleming. Uh, our, uh, our thoughts are with his family and with all his colleagues, including yourself Absolutely. at the SFA. Thanks for oh, coming thanks, on and talking to all us. All the best, thank you. Thanks oh, you're again. more than welcome. Thank Cheers. you. Thank, thank you. you. Kevin Toner there, member of the SFA's Referee Committee, talking about the late John Fleming, who sadly yeah. passed away today. Yeah, you, you, you forget the, what these people do. You know, it's, you know, these referees are getting pelters. You forget they're people. Yeah, very much so. Uh, and the thing is, we don't know them as people. You know, we just see <laughs> that's them. That's a very good point. We just see them in, as these headlines, and that's their job, and that's their title. Yeah. And and it's all very easy as as being in this business to have a pop, but you know they've got feelings like everyone else. It's different. You know, it's interesting when when Kevin was talking about that, that referees don't really follow the, fo- the social media side of things for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But I've we've often said, and me included, probably more than anybody, we say. You know, we need to we need to speak to John. Fle- we need to get John Fleming on. We need to, you know, and, and John was would always be in your thoughts because he was the head of the referees. Um, but you know, uh, for me, at a very very young age, taken far too early at sixty two, with his life ahead of him, my God. So I mean, it's know, a year younger than me. Well, it's unbelievable. Uh, and he's a guy that he's been about all my career, same as Kevin as well. I don't know, age of Kevin, but. 
you know, these referees don't don't forget the old Burnsy boy in a minute there. He was there long and <laughs> piping up, saying he's met me in numerous occasions <laughs> under the wrong circumstances, I've got to say. Yeah. Um, but uh, John was no different, but more of the older school, but a chat, as I've always said, ex-pros like myself will, will you know, know what I'm talking about when uh, you had a referee, at least you could You have. could relate to them, and yeah. they could relate to you. You know, they, they, they would have a go. If you're having a go at them... They would have a wee go back at you, which probably got even me angry, the fact. <laughs> but then when you sit and think about it now, uh, it's quite funny. Um, you didn't realise it. But, yeah, a sad loss and uh, eight years of real, real hard graft. And all the years before it, coming from amateur to junior, you know, go through the reserves, doing it properly, putting your own stamp on it, but people still telling you what to do, that's a big thing for, mm-hmm. for somebody coming through the ranks and doing it. Um, because it, it's less and less of your own stamp on referee yeah. now, isn't it? Yeah, no, you're absolutely it's right. It's generally what the way they want you to do it, and to adjust to that takes a, takes a big thing to and do. And of course, a lot of the rules and laws that change, you have no real say in. You may be consulted mm-hmm. uh, in terms of you're told what the plan is and how it's going to operate and how it might affect you, yeah. but you can't turn around and say, no, we're not going to adopt that. You've yeah. got to do it, and that's it. Uh, and that can't be easy either. Listen, I'm going to move on because I want your, your views on something. Yeah. Uh, and it's quite important that I get them because I'm going to put something to you, which I think uh, is kind of interesting. Uh, Ryan Jack, of course, has uh, signed a two-year extension to his contract. Not, yeah. Keeps him at Ibrooks until 2023. Now, one of the things I was going to ask you, and I'll start with this, is the amount of times you've said, if we had a Scott Brown in our team, then, uh, you know, Rangers would be beating this team and that team and the next team uh, and would be winning games. And, and you've said that a long time and you've got pelters and occasions for it from obviously Rangers fans. Are Rangers now looking at Ryan Jack, and I don't mean specifically in style, but are Rangers now looking at Ryan Jack to possibly become the Scott Brown model for Rangers in as much a player they can build through the future with? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I still think that, that Ryan Jack has still got a long way to go to emulate, I think, Scott Brown for the years that he has been such a dominating force in the middle of the park for, for Celtic. I, I still think that, that Ryan Jack's still got a lot to learn and, you know, who better to learn that from is the manager being one of the best midfield players of all time in British football. So he's got a great mentor there. The Rangers fans have... I've bought into it a wee bit more this season. I've seen him really settling down, getting fat, dominating games. I think he's very fortunate that he's a kind of one of a kind across there, the, the amount of midfielders they do have. Mm-hmm. We've seen how much he was missed on Sunday just for that kind of that domination of that brick wall in the middle of the park and getting it from side to side and Davis going and doing his things. No need to worry about you know, you know, you know the Hearts players that were playing just in front of the Rangers back four, where Ryan Jack would be picking up things and making passes. So it was a loss, and it was there for all to see on Sunday. But I still think he's got a lot to prove. You know, he's got loads to prove to the Rangers fans that uh, is is this big midfield player that 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 you know we all want him to be. Uh, you know, he's got everything there. He's got he's got he's no blessed with pace, but he's very very tough. He's a kind of quiet assassin in there. He's very tough. Never pull out a tackle. Knows what it's like to play for the jersey. Now adjusting to play in front of 50,000. The most important thing is, you could ask me on eight what you're thinking about. Steven Gerrard is obviously 
keen on him to give him the extension to 23. So it's it's a it's a big contract. Oh, he'll be well looked after. Um, he's now got to repay Rangers be kicking on to another level, get himself in the Scotland team, forget all this, we don't want him to play with Scotland, I'm a Rangers fan, but I want him in the Scotland team, and, and deep down the Rangers fans will want that as well, don't be kidded, they want to see a Rangers players, or Rangers players, in the squad, and then we can maybe unite the country a wee bit more as well, because it's divided right now, I want to see him in the, the, the Rangers team, and being the top player, because I think he could be a captain, I think he could be a captain before James Tavernier Bill, because I like the idea of being midfield, seeing everything about him, going through people, wearing that badge, wearing the armband, no disrespect to Tav, but I think Ryan Jack might be in the manager's thoughts. Only my opinion, being long-term captain of Rangers Football Club. How good, how good could Ryan Jack be if you made a comparison against former Rangers midfielders? Mm-hmm. How good could Ryan Jack be when you when you think and look ahead? Bearing in mind you've said he's still got things to prove, he's still got things to learn. I think Ryan Jack would be the first person to admit that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a he's a quiet lad, apparently he, he off is. the park. He, he, is, yeah. he he's very reserved. He, he's very much a family man as well. Um, but on the park, he, he's got that grit, that guile about him. As you say, he's not blessed with the the, the best pace. But he always seems to be there as an outball for people in the midfield, and his distribution has got far better than I, it used yeah, to be. You're right. I, th- I think the older he's getting as a player, maybe the cuter he's getting on the part, Bill. When he doesn't need to go diving in, he can stay in his feet, can see the game in front of him. Um, uh, you know, and and what a place to play. You know, he's 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 learned his trade at Aberdeen. Came down, got a few dodgy sending offs, few bad injuries, few lunges, few reds. Um, so you know, I think I think he's kind of he's seen out his um, he's seen out his apprenticeship. I think I think mm-hmm. he's rather than coming down and wham hitting the ground running, he's had a few few blocks along the way, and he's kind of risen above that. I think you know, as as a midfield player, as a as a midfield player, when you're still learning, when there's a guy like Stephen Gerrard appointed as your manager, you know, the, the same thing applied when. When um, when Sunis came to Ibrox, didn't work out for me. But I was like, oh, you got to learn off somebody like that. The same as Bijanani kicked on and yeah. Derek Ferguson you know, learning off a quality midfield player the way Sunis was. I think the same applies to Ryan Jack. Where I think that the the, 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 the Gerard factor has certainly made Ryan Jack a better player. I think Ryan Jack can get better. I think he could make he might be quite off the part, but be a wee bit more vocal on it. For me, I think it could be a wee bit, you know, a wee bit in more people's faces than he is. I've met him a couple of times, very, very quiet lad. Uh, but on the park, he's, he's no quiet with his, with his feet. I know that. I've watched him. I've watched him close. Never seen him jump out a tackle. That's what the Rangers fans want to see. But potentially for me, yes, he's, I would say, he's a, he's a six and a half, a seven out of ten in performances right now to get to the eight, the eight and a half. He's got to do it continuously, and that means season after season. He's got a great contract now. He's going to get looked after. That doesn't need to be worried about. Kick on and lead the middle of the park. I mean, he's he's obviously come on, and as you say, Stephen Gerrard sees something on him. Stephen Gerrard says he's one of the easiest players in the world to, to manage. Yeah, because he, he's you can just tell that Ryan Jack is a gemmy, a boy. You can tell that. You just... You watch him and the way he goes about his business. I've seen him coming out into the press area after it. Maybe European games as well. Sometimes he's actually quite timid coming into though. You know the, the Champions the thing the league game. Yeah, the Europa be next League. Season, sorry, Champions League will be next season. <laughs> the Europa League. 
um, you know, he never comes, miss a trick, Sunday. He comes into the the the, the press zone, and he's, he's he's quite he's quite shy in many ways. The way, and I would like to see him shrug that off a wee bit. And I, I'm pretty sure he'll be chatting the dressing room with his teammates. Hi, but come on. You know, get out there and get into people's faces. That could rub into his game and, and make him a better player as well. I want to see him express himself a wee bit more. But you can tell he's had a great upbringing. He'll have good parents, good stock. You can always tell. Good wee family man. And now sitting in the middle of the park with Rangers. And potentially there is a wee opening there. We a wee bit of pressure on Tav. There's no doubt about it. To get that armband. Maybe what Tav needs, Bill. Maybe a wee rest. And they make Ryan Jack long-term captain. So mm, It's an interesting yeah, one. It me, is an interesting for one. For me, yes. Uh, listen, just a quick one as well. I don't want to dwell on this one too too much, and it's not because it's a Celtic player or a Celtic story. Uh, Fraser Forster saying that he would like to think that if he can turn in good performances in the Europa League, that he can get called up into the England squad. At 31, how realistic is that? Well... You've got to love the dream, haven't you? You know, he's been involved before. He wants to be involved. He's come back up the road for first-team football. Um, big bulk, big unit, did okay. Is he really going to be tested 100% week in, week out at Celtic? I don't think so. When you see that the goalkeeper's down south right now, obviously, um, I wouldn't think that he's got to be in Gareth Southgate's thoughts. I, I wouldn't think so. But it's 31, listen... You look what McGregor's still doing at 37 stroke 38. So goalies can go to the 40 now. Uh, but um, I, I don't I don't think they... Uh, to be fair, and I'm not being funny, and you're right, they can. And it's it's some of them have been at their best when they've been over their 30s. Yeah. But unlike Scotland, England have got a selection of young goalies. Well, they have. That, that really are kind of pressing, if you like. I don't think Pickford's the best one they've got. Well, I have Pickford's, to be honest with Pickford's you. Pickford's kind of... He's a, he's a bit of a time bomb in there, isn't he? You know, he is... He's very, erratic for me. Yeah, he's, a, he's very agile. Kicks the ball great kind of dives in a little bit, if you know what I mean, when he goes down very early, as in one-on-ones, and the boy Jack Butlin's at, at Stoke, they're looking to get him a move to get playing again. I think it's, Brian Gunn's boy's getting yeah, mentioned. Yeah, I think the lad, is it Tom Pope as well? Is it, you know, he's he's decent. So they have got a few, uh, I think, well ahead of Fraser, Fraser Foster on that one. I think but, he's, he's came up the road to get playing. But he's right, if he turns in a few good performances against top-level uh, teams in the Europa League, who knows? I, I doubt it. I wish him all the best. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hold that against them. But I think it might be a bit of a pipe dream to get back involved there, Bill. Okay, let's talk to our next guest. It's good to have him back. He's been away for a wee while, as far as the programme's concerned. Uh, but we're going to talk to him tonight, Brian Ferguson, and now back in the game at Linlithgow Rose. Brian, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, yourself? Aye, pretty decent, pretty decent. I have to be honest with you. Uh, we were talking, Hugh and I, uh, at the beginning of the show, but in, in the, the office earlier on, Brown, and I was kind of contemplating uh, the move from Stenny to Linlithgow Rose, and I couldn't quite reconcile it being much of a jump, bearing in mind the tradition uh, the size of the club of Linlithgow Rose and the, the way that they've invested in their team over the years. Tell us about that difference in, in the move. Um, obviously, I've only I've only just been into the club for you know it's just over a week now, um, but I did I did have a, a, a good understanding of them. Just it was actually family historical family connections uh, Linlithgow, so I knew pretty well in terms of the size of the, the club, the fan based infrastructure that they had. So. You know, actually being in there for the last sort of week or so now, um, 
you're seeing that I'm seeing that first turn now. You know the facility, the, the stadium that they've got there is 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 good. They've got an excellent fan base, which we saw at the weekend through at Stirling University, um, and obviously the job moving forward is is to ensure that the, the the team on the pitch is progressing to towards what we want as an aspirations for the club. But in terms of lower league football in, in Scotland, you know they've got a lot of things set up for them. Uh, which will hopefully allow them to progress over the coming years and ultimately that was the, the key attraction for me uh, to take the job. Brown Heights, you burns here, you know, and I've, I've watched the, the thing at, that Stenhouse Muir can unravel a wee bit and every time I used to lift up it was a player, it was a manager. What, what kind of went wrong at the end there at Sten, if you don't mind me asking? Um, it's, it's, it's hard to put my, my, my finger on it and it's obviously I, there's been a lot of things that have happened for me since then. I've obviously had the a good opportunity going into to work with Rangers for the last 10, 11 months, which mm-hmm. was a, yeah, an excellent sort of learning experience for me. Sure. But in terms of the Stennis Muir, um, what happened there, it's, it, uh, it's hard to actually turn around and say exactly what it was because ultimately the, the board made a decision at that moment in time that they thought was in the best interest of the club. I mm-hmm. think we were sitting seventh in League One at that moment in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's what then what then happened over the, the, the rest of that season. Um, you know that was that, that that happened with me being away from there. So in terms of what went wrong, it was hard to it's hard to, to put my finger on it. But it happened a while ago, and certainly from my my perspective now, it's a good reflection, look back on it in terms of what what I done well and what things I could have improved upon. And as I said, the learning experiences I've, I've had in at Rangers um, over the last ten months, all these experiences put together, hopefully put me in the right the right position to try and help move Liverpool forward now, which is ultimately what my only. My only focus and my only concern is now. The Murray Park thing, how did that come about and, and what was your duties here? What, what, there you, is no Murray Park anymore, yeah, you, you can't say that. Brown, Either Ockenhowie or the Hummel Training Centre. The Hummel Centre. Training Centre, to training say it centre. properly. <laughs> training Centre, that's exactly what it is. How did that come about and, and what, what age group were you involved there, Brown? Uh, look, yeah, I originally had a phone call from uh, Craig Mulholland back at the sort of tail end of last year to discuss you know, an opportunity to come in, which I went through and, and obviously met with them and, mm-hmm. and, and saw the saw the place, which is it's quite outstanding. You know, it's um, the program and uh, the, the the facilities, the people that are involved in it. They're quite, as I say, they're quite outstanding. And yeah. t- essentially, what my role was was to work with predominantly the 15s um, age group. Although there was a bit of work at the 14s and sometimes with the 16s with Brian Gilmore as well, but predominantly with the 15s with Malky Thompson. Um, and I suppose the best way I could kind of term it is match day prep and match day coach for them because it's such a big programme there that they've got a lot of people inputting into it but my role was specifically kind of getting them ready for the Saturday and working with Malky and the two of, them, uh, two of us taking them on a Saturday so in terms of uh, a learning experience in terms of the people that you're working with um, and as I say just from my own technical mm-hmm. learning over the last 10, 11 months it's been, it's been quite, quite an outstanding um, time for me so yeah, hopefully all these experiences now can get back into the management side of things and actually try and drive drive something forward. And as I said, I think at Linlithgow, the big reason for me taking the job is that I do, I do believe that there's a club there that can progress. And um, that's an exciting challenge, you know, to try and go and do that. Brown, it's a strange time in the juniors because there's a lot of talk about the the Lowland League and the juniors almost evaporating uh, and becoming part of the the pyramid system and a a Lowland League 2 and all the rest of it. And some clubs are for it, other clubs are against it. Um, And I'm just wondering how easy it, it was to get a determined view of 
what the long-term goal is for Linlithgow Rose, bearing in mind that the junior setup is so uncertain at the moment. Well, they, Linlithgow have now they've moved over. They're not no longer a junior club. So they're, they're in the east of Scotland now. Yeah, so they're in the east of Scotland. So what you found, particularly through in the east, a couple of years ago, was that the old uh, Super League, sort of traditional Super League teams, most of them migrated over to the east of Scotland. Bonnie Rig. Who, uh, they were the first to get promoted out of the East of Scotland last season, and are obviously now sitting at the top end of the of the Lowland League alongside Kelty. So right. um, most of them have moved over. So the vast majority are now in a position to to try and make an assault on the Lowland League. Obviously, it's going to one only one gets out of the East of Scotland, right. uh, but that will be the ambition of most of the teams in that that division. So there is that pathway there. Um, I think the system of Scottish football. It's, it's, it protects people from going down the way rather than promotes people going up the way, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and that that will be one of the challenges not for not just for Lanarkshire but any club with aspiration to move forward. But there is that pathway there, and potentially you know and you don't know how league structures will change, but potentially there could be an openness to try and um, allow more teams to to try and be successful and progress rather than protecting uh, teams from from falling out of leagues and and, and getting relegated. So. You never know how that could change, but certainly as a club, we it's an ambitious club, and that's as I said, we'll go back to it. That's the reason why I've taken this role. Brown, you've seen obviously the ability of players, first division, second division in Scotland, and, and played in those divisions, managing them as well. Wh- what's your thoughts on uh, Linlithgow technically as footballers uh, compared to where you were in the senior ranks? As I say, there's only been three, three training sessions in one game, mm-hmm. um, and I've obviously had a bit of uh, watched Monmouthgo and teams at that level a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, technically, there's good players. There's um, you can see that across all levels. But what I've also always said within my career as a player myself is that you find yourself at a level for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, now that that might be uh, technical, it might be coming back from injury, it might be a mental side of things you don't know, but. Certainly, from what I've seen for the Linlithgow players, their, their, their um, appetite for training has been first class so far. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of technically good players within the, within the group, and as I say, this is a this is not just a journey for 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 the you know the club. This is a journey for myself, for the players. Sure. And if anybody has that sort of aspiration to progress through the leagues, then they've certainly got a lot of the attributes to be able to go and do that. And it's just about trying to progress them and move them forward. And ultimately, it's my job to try and support them to do that. But there's no huge difference between the levels. I've, I've always believed that, but there is a reason why players play at levels. Yeah, um, and the key is just trying to unlock what you need to try and to try and progress. So when you spoke to the you know the chairman and, and the board and what have you committee really uh, at Linlithgow, uh, they sold it to you and you sold yourself to them. Or really they they've came looking for you. So what, the backbone of the club, you know, do, do they have like you know backers financially a, a club because at that level you you know a club is very very you know, good with the money and, and turning the money around. How does that work there as well? Because it's got lights and all that, so it's, it's moved on considerably. But it was always a brilliant setup, wasn't it? It's a brilliant setup. I mean, it's not for me to talk about to talk about other clubs and how they're financed, but mm. what I would say in terms of what Linlithgow have at this moment in time, they've got a, they, they seem to have a, a strong financial uh, position and an operating budget, which mm-hmm. is realistic to the, to the club. Mm-hmm. There doesn't seem to be, like, what we hear from other clubs like significant individual investors but sure. that also excites me because the club's running itself well yep. uh, the committee and the people behind the scenes are making sure that whatever's coming into the club has been spent. and spent in the right right manner yep. 
Um, but potentially, then there is that potential to try and increase um, money to generate more money and potentially to try and find some investors as they move forward. But as a club and an operating budget, they are, you know, it's, it's, they'll be, they'll be very, they're very well uh, run. And as I said, they came, initially the approach came from Lomisco. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got a phone call when I was abroad uh, to see if I'd be interested in talking to them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was a, it was a very open conversation to begin with. Um, between all parties and we're certainly very much in agreement about where the club can go um, with realistic in the targets that we're trying to set and I certainly feel as a manager that I've got the full backing of the of the club that I also understand that um, there's some there's a realism about how we're going to do this um, moving forward but ultimately the, the goal for us is to progress this club and give ourselves the best opportunity to have an assault on the league one day. We've not got the league in front of us here. Uh, where are you sitting now in Easter Scotland anyway? Where are you? We are, I think we're roughly a little bit mid-table. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe yeah, we have got the league. Oh, have we got the league there? Yeah, I yeah. do apologise. Yeah, yeah. Newborough are at the top, yeah, Stony Burn, then Rosyth, Kirkcaldy and Dysart and then Linlithgow Rose. Yeah. yeah, that's what I see. That's not the right league. Is it not? Oh, it's got... No, oh, that's... That's that, East, that, that's, that, that that's East yeah, aye, aye. Sorry, I beg your pardon. I beg your pardon. We've got you in the wrong league. We've no got you in the right league. <laughs> no, you we, know I mean, we do apologise. That's my producer who we're getting to Dan Mack in the morning. Don't we've worry got about the, We've got the East Region Junior <laughs> FA Premier League. Sorry, I Michael, beg your pardon. Michael, if you're listening, he's with producer the mayhem. Don't work him in the morning. morning son. <laughs> You've just made this look like a couple of turkeys. So we do apologise. So you're sitting mid table uh, and only one go up. Is that right, Brown? Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. That's only what, only the one go up. Actually, what you're talking there about the last go, the juniors. There is obviously once this, the junior team did move into the seniors, the traditional team. Yes, there has been a, another junior team set up. So there is. Ah, well, let's go. Rose community. The main focus is on. The, yes, yes, yes. But the, the main focus is on the on obviously the the, the East of Scotland team. So Bonnes, I think, currently sit top. I believe we are 12 points behind them, but there's obviously some games in hand that we have. So mm-hmm. it's, there's a lot of teams between ourselves and them, but I think in, you know, in theory we could go three points behind them. But uh, we've got tough fixtures. First ones came on this weekend, who I believe are sitting second top mm-hmm. um, and have had a very good season. So the, the fixtures come thick and fast and they're going to be difficult. But as I said, um, the, the squad that I've seen there at the club at this moment in time and certainly how they've responded to myself coming in over the last week, Certainly gives me confidence that there's um, there's good performances in us. So hopefully it starts this weekend. But you know, it is only one up is what I believe. And then obviously once you get into the lower league, we're all fully aware that you, you don't even get promoted with a with a championship. You have to go through the playoff systems to try and then access the league structure. So, uh, but I think you've seen the likes of Cove and Edinburgh City teams that have sure. recently moved into the league structure. How successful they are mm-hmm. uh, becoming, and there's a lot of teams with ambitions um, out with the, the league structure. I've got it now in front of me. It's just been flashed up on the screen. Bonus, United, Camelon and Trenent, the top three, and Linlithgow are eighth at the minute. It's amazing so. how that has all came to the fore, and it's. I think there's a lot of clubs in the west of Scotland as well. You know that that, that would. I don't know if they've just followed the, the way you know the East have. The, the problem is that there's been Why so much that? talk of different things. Brown will bear me out in this. There's been so much talk of aligning different leagues. Mm-hmm. I mean, some some juniors went 
went into the south of Scotland League, some went to the east of Scotland League. The West couldn't make up their mind what they were going to do. There was talk of the the uh, Lowland League too, and that was going to be pushed through, and that all stopped and went to Shudder and all. It's being discussed again now. Um, it's a very it's a very fragmented setup at the moment, isn't it, uh, Brown? And, and really, if anything. There does have to be some kind of decision where it is more unified and more coherent. Absolutely, and obviously, in terms of the junior setup, I'm not the I'm not the the best person to understand fully the history of it. All like yourself, there's probably more just a a keen observer. Yes. Um, previously, and now it's been a bit of a crash course the last couple of weeks um, in terms of what's been going on. But mm-hmm. certainly, when you look at some of the teams in the West, like you're rocking like Talbots, and there's plenty of others in there that are big, big clubs that. Um, I think everybody would recognise from a fan base perspective and just a sort of history they could compete with a lot of teams that are in the lower leagues. But the system that we've got in place as a nation in respect to the league structure, I don't think anybody would uh, agree that it's the right system, that's for sure. Um, And as you said, it is very fragmented. So I I would anticipate that there will be conversations or there should be conversations moving forward about the whole of the game in Scotland, uh, the structure of the game and how we can actually improve upon it. Um, but as I said, with ambitious, ambitious teams that are willing to invest and offer opportunities for people to play and actually try and progress, then hopefully there's more opportunities for these clubs to go and do so rather than, um, than stifling anybody. So, yeah, that would be my wish, not just because I'm in that um, environment um, now, but I just think it's for the good of the game that if people are trying to be progressive and then be ambitious, then there's a pathway for them to, to go and try and do so as long as they've earned it. So that would be my wish, but how that how that comes about in, in the coming years wait and see I, I, I've been around Linlithgow a number of times and it's it's a great little ground and the social club certainly always seems to be pretty busy that's for sure mm-hmm. uh, but I mean from moving on and looking on I'm assuming there is a plan uh, and that plan is maybe I don't know two seasons three seasons four seasons five seasons I don't know but there must be a plan there with that plan, is there a tandeming of, if you like, a plan to better infrastructure as you move up and down and, and forward, that kind of thing? Because obviously we saw uh, earlier on um, with Bonnie Rigg in the situation with the lights and everything like that and how touch and go it was. That's not an issue for you, but I'm sure there may be other issues that you're looking at thinking, let's head this off at the pass uh, and it's got to tandem with a... a kind of ambitions on the park yeah that was part of the certainly extensive conversations I had with the club just in respect to what their overall ambition is and in terms of the business if you want to call it that how they're going to try and progress the club that aligned to what um, what obviously my ambition is for the team um, and other time scales that's been put against that which you know we'll keep internal at this moment in time but yeah. we've both as a, as, a, as, a, as a sort of football and as a club we want to progress and there's certain things that the club need to put in place and develop in, in order to actually progress, if you want to call it, within the senior game as well. So if you're talking here about infrastructure, training environments, um, the, the, the club as a whole, there are elements there that need to be improved and there's a plan there to go and do it, as you as you indicated. And there's a timescale which we've both, we've both looked at and there's targets along the way from both a, a footballing perspective and a, a club perspective that we're, we're all going to be working towards trying to meet. So... These discussions have been had, and I'm quite c- content and comfortable that the the plan that has been um, discussed is achievable. And as I said, you know the club have got part to 
to, I've got a lot to do to try and make sure that they can align alongside that ambition I have and similarly I've got to make sure that the, the work on the football or football field is bearing fruits over the coming seasons so um, but in terms of a unified approach I'm very very happy with it and feel as though I've got the complete backing of the of the, the committee and people involved which is great Brown what's it, what kind of crowds are you getting uh, at the moment I know you've not been to a lot of games but what are they roughly getting it's a, I wouldn't be able to put a complete um, finger on that one, but certainly going into the game at the weekend there, it was our Scottish Cup tie away to, to Stirling, and we reckon there was probably somewhere between three and 400 Rose fans throughout that one. Away, um, yeah. mm-hmm. So if you compare that to you know some lower league, League One, League Two clubs... Um, decent, isn't you know, it? I think yeah, it's, it's decent. It is decent, yeah. even, even though it is a, a Scottish Cup tie, it's still decent. And certainly in the past, I've been to those games, Cup finals, Scottish Cup finals at... Mm-hmm. East End Park and through it, um, um, Partick and that as yeah. well, where the, where the Scottish where Cup the finals had four, five, six thousand yes. uh, people. So there's a, there's a town there that historically backs its backs its, um, its team. Yeah. And as I said, yeah, what we need to make sure is that they've, they've got something to go and back. And, mm-hmm. and as I said, that's that's my job to try and make sure that happens. Mm-hmm. Brian, how big is the squad and, and where do you troll for players? I mean, where's the, the go-to places for you for players at this level? It's a, it's a good question, and just assessing the squad at the moment in time is we probably lack depth, um, you know, in terms of just the, the, the numbers. So the, the first thing we're looking to try and do is to try and actually just improve the depth of squad, um, and then obviously over a period of a period of time, we're looking to try and um, have the balance of the squad right and improve the quality. And obviously, I hope every single player that's within the changing room uh, continues on that journey and is with with us, but. Um, my job is to try and ensure that the quality continues to improve. But at this moment in time, it's difficult. Most of the young loan players that you could maybe look look to try and target are already out on loan. Obviously, every senior, uh, the senior players that are established are signed with clubs already. There's not many free agents. So the only way you can really target a player is if there's a free agent or potentially looking to try and sign a player um, or loan a player from, from the loan and league down. So there's not a a gluttony of players out there, that's for sure. Um, but we're certainly working hard to try and identify a couple to, to bolster the squad. And then obviously come come January and then looking towards next season, we'll be trying to identify players that can uh, essentially improve improve the group in line with the way we're hoping to try and play. Just looking at the, the Lowland League for a minute, which is where your sights have got to be set, obviously. Um, I, I'm just thinking about the amount of players now who have been at a higher level, who still have a, a lot left in them as players, who are looking at the Lowland League, and, and the Lowland League's credibility is getting a lot, lot higher in terms of managers who are managing there, in terms of players who are going to play there. Um, but we are starting to see what we see in every league, whether it be up at the top class or lower down, and that is the teams with the money are now starting to kind of establish themselves, and we are starting to get the haves and the have-nots again. Uh, I guess that's always going to be a, a problem for any team. Um, are you confident that you could compete if you went up into the Lowland League the way things are with Linlithgow, or, or do you feel then that you would really have to put your uh, push the boat out to, to kind of be competitive if you got into the Lowland League? I think, um, first of all, we've got to try and get there. That's obviously the big I've got every faith in you, Brian, every faith. (laughs) (laughs) I think, uh, just in general, the teams that that are currently in the the east of Scotland um, table, so ourselves, 
Bonus, etc. There's teams in there that probably already have the infrastructure and the, um, I would guess, the resource to be able to compete in the Lowland League. What I don't think, from just intelligence, we're in a position to, at this moment in time, is to compete to get out of the Lowland League financially. Mm-hmm. I think there's a massive gulf, from what I hear, between the top end of the Lowland League to the bottom end. Um, and uh, there, may, there may well be a filtering process over the next five, six years um, within the Lowland League, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but just the size of the clubs that are sitting in the east of Scotland, um, trying to access it, and some of the teams that are within the Lowland League, I think there'll be a few teams worrying within the Lowland League. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would, from what I understand and from what I know, um, there are there are a few teams in the Lowland League that are trying to, to push the boat out to try and get to the, to the senior leagues, and obviously that's that's their business to go and try and do that. Um, I had a, I was fortunate I had a couple of months in East Kilbride as well, uh, just after Stennis Muir and helping out um, Stuart Malcolm uh, for a couple of months, and I was managing to go into to that environment. Again, that's another progressive club. Yeah. Great great infrastructure, great facility, looking to do an awful lot in the community, very active, etc. And, um, you know, they're another team that are looking to try and progress. So, yeah, as I said, I've no idea what the finances are of other clubs, but I, my suspicions would be that in terms of us as a club, when Atlantico uh, and Alex and Bonest, they need to ensure that they probably need to in, in, increase their their, um, their their monies to be able to entice the right types of players coming in. But I'll go back to what I said originally about Atlantico. Uh, my only concern is that there's a plan there to try and do that. There's an infrastructure in there to try and do that. And um, as I said, everybody seems to be on the same page to go and do that. And it won't be easy. It might take a bit of time, um, but essentially that is our ambition, and I've certainly not got any um, fear about stating that um, openly. Our ambition is to, to get into that Lowland League and to make a push for the League 2. But, but I think, uh, you know, when Brown's been given that opportunity, and quite a, a safety blanket, really, uh, uh, leaving the Hummel Training Centre, as you call it, <laughs> to go to Linlithgow, the club that it's going to be the right club. I don't mm. mean that oh, disrespectful no. to go to the East of Scotland League. But it's got to be, you've got to see a vision there, as I think Brown probably has. Been sold it by the board, the committee, and a bit of belief in himself to go, I want to take this club to bigger and better things, you know. And I think if the infrastructure's there, that kind of makes your mind up, even driving to, to, the, to the interview, you know, to go, Linlithgow Rose, everybody knows about Linlithgow Rose. Listen, they're a, t- a club with a fine tradition in history. And the one thing I was going to say, Brown, and this is why I never asked the question, I was going to say, you know, the difference managing at that level uh, to, uh, you know, where you were before and, and various other things. Uh, and I know the answer to it. There is no difference because I know e- at any level, even junior managers that I talk to, being a manager in football these days at any level is 24-7. Oh, hundred percent. We've already seen that um, in the last sort of the week and a half. But I think just going back to the original point here, to leave to leave Rangers is, was a was a huge decision for obvious reasons. Um, but I think if I, I, I felt as though I'd done a good job previously at Stennis Muir in the senior game, I think although I've got a, a decent reputation within the game, so in order mm-hmm. to actually move from that environment. Um, a senior club I'll always if I had the chance to do it again it would only really be a club that I felt could move forward from where they currently were and there's not many clubs in Scotland uh, that would be realistic you know to to myself that are sitting in that position where you think you know they can realistically move on a lot further from where they uh, currently are and as I said I believe that Lindmuskel Rose are one of those clubs um, that can do that and um, yeah I've got to have complete belief in myself that I can do that but 
like you just said there, it's not nothing's easy. Nothing comes without without hard work, and um, yeah, the, the chance to go and do that is going to come with a lot of time invested in the club. But hopefully, over the coming seasons, uh, the work will. We'll reap the rewards from it. Well, listen, from a personal point of view, it's great to have you back on the show and, and, and great to see you back uh, ploughing your own furrow with Linlithgow Rose. Good luck for the rest of the season. I'm sure we'll speak to you at some point throughout it just to check on how things are going. Thanks again, Brian. Thanks, Brown. No worries. Nice to speak to you. Thanks. All the best. Cheers. There we go. Brian Ferguson there, the Linlithgow Rose manager, talking to us uh, tonight. And... Uh, it's a great club. Stacks up, Bill. It, you yeah, know, it's it a does. guy who's got a bit of belief in his ability. Didn't he? Didn't he go too much into the Stenishmuir thing? Obviously, maybe a wee bit upset how how it all came about at the end, you know, and uh, ultimately lost his job there. So to take a wee step back, you know, it's no much a step back being asked to go and take the 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 the, the, the youth uh, to uh, at the, at, at Rangers, at Rangers, and then being given the opportunity. Uh, a, a, a great, a great junior club. Let's not forget that you know they've been a junior club now east of Scotland, but going in the right direction. You just have to look at what yeah. you know what Barry has done already at Kilty. Don't get me wrong, uh, um, Kilty have came from you know nothing. I don't mean nothing. Kilty Hearts have always been a big club, but mm-hmm. with a personal backer, and I think that's what Brown was talking about there. I think, um, it, I think players would have doubts about going to a club. If it was one guy only and one guy putting yeah, money in it, yeah. that tends to happen at junior level. There's always a big player rather than a, a well-run club with a, with, you know, with a social club and a lottery. And Linlithgow is such a class little area in general. Linlithgow, in general, the town, mm-hmm. uh, affluent little area, good club, always been a good club, good tradition, good cup runs, and a proper proper pitch. Um, so that must have been so appealing. And at the end of the day, hey, they've, they've probably went, I mean, we'll need to go a few quid to get this guy yeah. here as well, and they've did that and all. So, and Brown has seen, he, he's, he, he listen, he's, he's realised he, he, he's, his capabilities at that level, going, well, I would rather go to a, an up-and-coming club like that or a club that's been in the second division in Scotland and it's never going to do anything. I think he's went to the right club, I think. Yeah. You no, know, I agree get, with you. There's whole a, a freshness about it. A senior guy going back down to the east of Scotland says a lot for Linlithgow. And how many times have you said it over the years? Sometimes you have to take a wee step, step backwards back to come to forward forwards again. Yeah, and he speaks well. Yeah, No, he's smashing lad Brown, he, he really well. is, and it's always good to have him on, and it was a, a miss that we hadn't had him for quite a while. Uh, that's uh, a chance to take a break. Now we'll come back. We're going to be talking uh, some more general stuff, looking ahead to... Uh, Uh, the Europa League as well and uh, we'll also talk to Paul Goodwin about UEFA sanctions Nemo Tavali will be with us a wee bit later on uh, talking about Lazio who of course are the opponents of Celtic in the Europa League Uh, Hugh and I will talk about Rangers Porto too well Porto Rangers Uh, so that's all to come uh, on Talking Football Love music Live sport Talking Football with Bill Young and Hugh Burns on Rock Sport Radio. Okay, for this Wednesday night, let's talk more football. Hearts manager Craig Levine is saying that he will not tolerate a drop in standards after the display that his uh, team put in against Rangers on Sunday. Yeah. Um, (laughs) it's, It's a strange one to say. Because there's inevitably, you're going to think that the intensity that they played with on Sunday isn't going to be maintained against other teams. Uh, when he says he won't tolerate a drop in standards, what does he do? 
Well, he's wanting to see passion in every game. You know, that's the headlines in the Sunday day. I'm reading it, and he wants rave hearts. Levine now shows same passion in every game, which is the reason it was where they are in the league. They've not been doing that, and and I think you know against Rangers, Celtic at home, Hearts at home, or sorry, Hibs at home, they're up for the big yeah. battles. But you know, it's the it's the games round about that it'll deter what kind of season they're going to have. And he's got every right because he always feel and he has always came across in his interviews that. He firmly believes in what he's doing is the right way. Um, and he's got a strong enough squad now, he thinks, to, to kick on. But Machino is a little lad for Man City and Lowe, and you've raved about him before he even kicked a ball. Um, and reports were coming out saying, this guy's different class. Um, and he now looks as though he's getting fitter every game as well. He's a massive player for them. We're still getting Naismith to come back, Suter to come back in, Haring in the middle of the park. So they've got a few players... That, and, and Halker, of course, which Walker, Walker, Halker, who, who looks as though he's going about to early New Year as well. That was a bad one that he got. So I think the reason he's been given a bit of time is the fact that all these players are due to come back, uh, and he's trying to get the best out of what he's got right now. But if they continue to to apply themselves the way they did in Sunday, now they've got to do that. I think they played Ross County Saturday, you know, and, and they've got to do that because as ability goes, they have got ability in the squad. Uh, but if you went out there not half-hearted but fully committed, then it just geez every other player up. You go for it, you have a go, and you win football matches. And, and his squad's not been doing that. But now they've given themselves a wee benchmark, got a point against Rangers, were probably the better team. I think they outfought Rangers as well, Bill, in, in many, many uh, areas of the park. And he's looking for that again this weekend. Is he disappointed coming away with a point? Against Rangers. Yeah, because I think it felt as if, you know, it was a mistake for young Aaron Hickey. It hasn't really bought them a lot, has no, it? No, it hasn't. But, you know, you give them that at quarter past 12 and Sunday, half 12 Sunday before the game, and I think he takes the point. Mm-hmm. Especially where Rangers are coming through as league leaders. Um, and, 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 and Rangers were just, you know, swiping everybody out the road, you know, that, that was in front of them and, and scoring loads of goals. Scored five, six last time out. So, um, I think, given Craig's... Uh, run up to the game, uh, which has been slightly better over maybe the last month. You would have thought, yeah, I'll take a point at home. Who's that on there? We Liam Telford. He's put a picture of, of a t-shirt here, and it says "Keyboard Gangster." Don't mess mess with my uppercase skills. He says he's going to get you one for Christmas. <laughs> Doesn't look like you, Liam. Doesn't look like you. I know you had a beard. So there you uh, go. Well, there you are. Well, we, we, Liam. The wee Jambo's listening tonight, and uh, I don't think the wee Jambo's ever happy, is he? He's, he's, he's just not happy at all. <laughs> Anytime we mention Levine, he just, he just goes off his nut. But anyway, I told you, Liam, the big man will be there at the end of the season. I'm telling you that right now. Big, uh, the big fella will turn it round, and I hope he does. So there you go. Well, it'll be interesting to see, of course, another. another uh, Coach in the, the capital under pressure is Paul Hickenbottom. Uh, Martin Boyle back in training after a second cruciate ligament operation this year, but it's still going to be a while before he can play again. Yeah, and a that loss. is a big loss. Yeah, it was a big loss. Good player, a busy little player. Hibs fans liked him. I think really the alarming fact right now is no panic at Hibs despite no wins in eight. Now that's a big, big run to go without winning, Bill. Um, and, and you know the pressure is on even though they've dominated I think probably in the last couple of games probably dominated the derby and lost it went to Aberdeen hammered them one each 
and went to Aki's and were the better team and again come back just with a point. With pressure on the manager, uh, Hibs fans are demanding results. And yeah, I think I think Higginbottom is probably getting now to the end of the year, Bill, I think, to turn it round. If he's not in that top six by December time, I think there could be a change for the second part of the season. I think there's pressure on the man. I think one of the things that could that could actually, if you like, determine his fate as well is if hearts kick on from the Rangers' result well, and they start to perform. Well, they bounce off one another, don't they? And, yeah. the, and the fans in the, in the capital want bragging rights. And uh, generally, yes, I think you're right. Um, for a few weeks there, the two of them are really toiling. Hearts are still in a position where they've they've got to pick up wins and get their sell up the league as of Hibs. But I've probably got a wee feeling that I think out of the two of them, I'm expecting Hearts maybe to start climbing the league and getting results to get them in the, the, the higher reaches. You've got league. to think that Hearts have got more going for them with players coming I think, back. I think you're right. Uh, and that's gonna, that's gonna, yeah, that's gonna make a big difference. Yeah, they've got, I think they've, you know, you take for me out the Hibs team, uh, Porteous at the back, maybe Marlon in the middle of the park with Allen, and maybe Camberry, who's not in the manager's thoughts. That they're the kind of four standout players for me at Hibs. Camberry's not doing it. Allen was on the bench. Marlon got his goal, and Porteous has only come back for injury. So, I think when you look at the Hearts squad, the Hearts team. He's starting to live in stronger than what the Hibs are. So. A, st- a story floating around on social media today, and I haven't seen it confirmed anywhere, that Man City will make a, a move for Aaron Hickey in January mm. uh, and loan him back to Hearts. That, uh, that, somebody, it was We Are Scottish Football, put that down that that deal's done. I haven't seen that anywhere other than them putting it there. Yeah. Uh, and until I see it, I won't really believe it because I'm not sure... And this is no disrespect to the boy. He is young. He's got a lot to learn, but I'm not sure he's the best that they could get. No, I think I think you know that's a paper story that somebody's got a hold of. It. They'll print, you know, and the Jambos fans wouldn't be happy with it. And apart from his mistake that day there, and then dropping at the back post for Morelos, I think's probably the only couple of mistakes the kid has made. Three weeks back, he's you know he's the king of the castle. He scored that wonder goal down at um, Easter Road to get them their win. So. It's, it's football. We need to bounce back. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that Craig will be nurturing him along and you know and saying, listen, you need to learn from your mistakes. It'll be interesting to see. You know, he's been, he has been, you know, moving for right back to left back. That, that might not have been helping him, but certainly on Sunday he was off the pace a wee bit. Still kicked on a wee bit better in the second half. Didn't really make a lot of mistakes, but uh, generally. Man City, a different level completely. This is near a Kieran Tierney or an Andy Robertson we're talking about here. For the full-back perspective, we're talking about a young boy who's no longer in the Hearts team. It might might be the, the fact that they, they want him, obviously, and see a future for him. Mm-hmm. Scouts have been watching him. That's reported back to, to Pep Guardiola, but you'd think that the squad that Man City have got, I think it would be a while before it they would be looking at making a purchase like that, Bill. Hugh, I'm going to go back to Rangers very briefly as well because there's a, a lot of talk about Ross Wilson uh, looking to bring players in at Ibrooks um, in January. January yeah. But there's also a lot of talk about as many as seven players could be on the move from Rangers. Mm-hmm. And a couple that are, are quoted are, are Jamie Murphy and Wes Fodringham. Now, Jamie Murphy has started to kind of feature in the squad and been given a couple of bit-part roles playing for Rangers 
over the, the last few weeks. Let me ask you, I, I mean, I can see Wes Fodderingham, I, I don't think he's going to be happy sat on the bench for another full season. I have to be honest with you, and there was talk of him going last season, but he hasn't. Uh, Alan McGregor extending the, the contract and, and everything like that. Uh, that's I think that's either been done or it's just about to be done. That's been knocked about for a while. Um I'm not sure as many as six or seven would go, but I think there's certainly four or five that might be exiting Rangers. Uh, Greg Doherty's name's come up again, yet I was hearing that both Gary McAllister and Stephen Gerrard have been very impressed with him in training. The boy's got a great attitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he has, but it's ability that gets you in the team, Bill. No, I I agree. You know, I know the attitude thing, and I think Stevie Gerrard will be old school when he'll watch players in training because he'll be actively involved himself being so fat. He'll know who's buzzing about in training as, as, as Gary Mack and the rest of the, the, the backroom squad observe for the side of the park. Greg Doherty, for me, um, technically, I, I don't think Greg Doherty, you know, is as good as, as what, you know, maybe Kamara, Davis, Jack, these players, Arfields, they're all ahead of him, Bill. And he's, he's been given long enough now for me. He's been up here again for the back end of last season. He's had his pre-season. He's had all the friendlies. The cups have kicked in. You know, there's been a few league games. So, and he's no go to sell on the team. If you're doing the business here in, OK, the midfield's been doing OK. So, Greg Doherty, certainly for me, has got to be in his thoughts. I'm maybe going out and loan again, if that's the case. Jamie Murphy's been unlucky on the back of moving for, for Brighton. They, you know, they pushed the boat out there. You know, he wouldn't have been on small money. He bought mm-hmm. good wages round there. Uh, came up the road. Horrendous injury he got. Um, and he's, he's worked his way back to, to, to fitness. Wouldn't they say full fitness? Because, again, he's no got to sell on the team. And, and the amount of players that he's got available to him wide, I keep saying it was still, I think, like a right-sided winger. A right winger. He's got um, Hasty down and loan. He's got, you know, uh, Greg Stewart who can come in off the right. He's got, you know, he's got Kent that could play there as well, obviously. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a few players ahead of Murphy as well. So, a bit who's ahead of you in the pecking yeah, line? So, yeah. keeping having, you know, like two players for the one position, but when you've got three and four, yeah. and you're fourth maybe down the line there, you know that your time's numbered. Mm. Um Will Andy Halliday see the season out? Does he see him as maybe an auxiliary left-sided full-back if something happens to Borno Barisic if he's no bring Flanagan in? So there's another player. But, you know, there's a lot of wages getting paid there, um, you know, that are no playing, that don't look like getting in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there is other players kind of floating about. Uh, but the, the, the one you're talking about, Greg Doherty, uh, West Foringham seemingly has been linked with an MLS move. That could happen. Um, Jamie Murphy... Um, really, that's probably about the three, maybe, and throw Halliday in the hat yeah. for four. Um, so apart from that, they're, they're all still getting a sniff of starting, aren't they? Yeah. Along the line. So they're probably the four that will be on good dough that the new sporting directors coming in, technical director, will be saying, right, listen, I can find a home for them down south. OK. Let's move on and talk about the European ties. And, of course, both teams are, are facing... Uh, sanctions and have faced sanctions over the last couple of months or so. Rangers with uh, two ground sections of ground closed uh, and Celtic now picking up yet another fine for pyrotechnics. Um, 
Let's talk to Paul Goodwin from the Scottish Football uh, Scottish Football Supporters Association. Firstly, how was your holiday? I was following you island hopping on Facebook. <laughs> it was very good, but not enough football, Bill. Not enough football. <laughs> Apart from that, it was fine. It looked glorious. <laughs> it looked like a great time. It was it was a fantastic uh, week away. The sun was absolutely splitting the sky. So Where were you, Paul? Uh, you can ask for Where any more you? than that. We were in Jura. We were in Jura, which was fantastic. Nice. Really lovely. Tell me where that is, Paul, because I'm not really... Up in the Hebrides. Just up the west coast. That was the west coast. Uh, you, nice you go up from uh, the Mullock Tyre, so very nice. Nice A couple of hours in the ferry. Very nice. Excellent. Well, it looked great. It really did. Anyway, listen, can you remember a time where both Rangers and Celtic have had to appeal to their fans uh, not to do things, either sing songs or behave in a way that, quote, UEFA could deem unacceptable? Well, I don't think it's ever happened before, Bill, as far as uh, I can recall. And I think it's really a lot of people feel that uh, this is about UEFA doing the job that uh, the SFA and the SPFL have been afraid to do for years. Um, you know, we both we know that both clubs have had problems in both those aspects, both at home and abroad. Um, and it's, you know, it's a sad reflection that, you know, we're, we're looking for the outside bodies uh, to influence things and make things better. But the fans have got to know that they've got rights and they've also got responsibilities. And, you know, in this day and age, um, I, I can't remember how many times times as Celtic have been, it's like 18 times or something like that, uh, the sanctions are just going to get worse, I mean that's the way that uh, the UEFA works, they're, they're going to come to a point where they just say, no this is not good enough, and they'll, they'll get something similar, uh, likewise the vast majority of you know, Rangers fans who are just fed up with uh, you know, the fact that they're in the spotlight for the wrong reasons, they've just been listening to you talk about Rangers for all the positive good reasons and the job that Gary and um, Stevie Gerrard are doing is fantastic. That's what the fans want to be talking about, not all this other nonsense uh, which we should be leaving behind. UEFA seem to be getting quite strident with this now, Paul, not just with Rangers and Celtic, but clubs right across the board. And it is long overdue. I, I, I sometimes they'll question if the punishment always fits the crime. Well, they have a, like a sliding scale. They have a tariff, which they, they, you know, they actually operate to. So, you know, letting off a, a pyrotechnic um, is an awful deemed to be less of an offence than a racist chant, for example. So um, they, they, they have their own kind of order. Uh, I think there's a, three, a three-tiered approach, a three-pronged approach, and at different levels there's different sanctions. All the clubs know about it, and it's one of those things as well that if you don't like it and you don't, you know, approve of it or you don't, you know, want to go along with it, you don't go in the competition. So if you're in the competition, you've got to abide by the rules. That's UEFA's rules. It's their competition. And uh, sadly, they've just got to go on with it. Um, I, I mean, I think, you know, the measures that we've seen both at Celtic and Rangers have been fairly minimal compared to uh, some of the more obvious ones. And it goes back to our conversations over many months ago about things like strict liability. Um, you know, where there's it's actually been games behind closed doors. There's been, um, you know, games which... Uh, there's actually the away fans are banned from. There's all, there's all sorts of other sanctions that have happened to big clubs, you know, you know, Ajax and Feyenoord are two in the, in the last few years, as well as the, the Greek clubs, um, some of the Russian clubs, uh, Bulgarian clubs. So, you know, I, I think society in particular and the big issues, things like the homophobia and the racism and, you know, in Scotland we could throw in sectarianism into that. People are just saying, no, we're not having this anymore. And, you know, that's maybe partly to do with bigger 
things going on in society and the world, the Me Too thing and, you know, all the, the liberalisation of a lot of laws and, and, and things that maybe in the past things were acceptable. They're just not acceptable anymore in society and football, you know, has got to, um, to, to be part of it, play a role in that, especially when it's so visible and it's so vocal. Yeah, Paul, it's interesting you're saying that, but Bill as well, you know, these clubs, you know, they, they, they try their very, very best, but it, it just takes a very, very small minority. I, I've experienced, yeah. you know, after the the, the, the last lot at Ibrox, the sectarian singing when what have you, and I have seen it dipping again and and, and heard nothing that I go, oh no, we can't sing that, or you just kind of get involved in that, you know, being at the games as a fan or whatever. Yeah. So I, th- I think really... Every now and again, you know, like you, the, the boys burst as such, and <laughs> and you know that way. Yeah. And, and I noticed it years ago as well because when, when it reared its ugly head years ago, it, it, it calmed down. Then it, it seemed to kind of disappear again. Then there was obviously a future. Yeah. So I think every now and again, I know we can't deal with it, but every now and again, guys, it's it going to happen. And people, they're at the game, they've had maybe a few shared bits, what have you, and they don't care because it's very difficult to, to control. Look, you're yeah. looking about, what, 120,000 between both stadiums there. Yeah. It just takes one guy for, for all the yeah. numbers. And before you know it, we're back to square one, Paul. Yeah, no, listen, there's no perfect solution for it. This isn't a magic bullet, sure. you know, and I don't think you ever think that either. I, I, I think at the very least, you know, there's, you know, people can see that there's action being taken, that there's something there. And the idea is, you know, and we've seen this demonstrated in Argentina, we've also seen it demonstrated in places like Turkey mm-hmm. and Greece, where in actual fact, the ultimate threat of, oh, by the way, you're going to get dealt points or you're getting thrown out of comp- this competition. Uh, I mean, you, you, you'll know, you'll remember, like, there's been several Italian clubs over the years have been yep. taken out of competitions. Mm-hmm. Big clubs, you know. Yep. Uh, it's also happened uh, with French clubs. It's happened with, uh, with Feyenoord as well. So I, I think when it comes to that stuff, it tends to calm their jets. And, they, you know, the, then the, 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 the silent ma- majority then kind of, you know, tap on the shoulder and, and you know, take a bravery pill and say, look, guys, we're not having this. If you want to sing that away and, you know, go somewhere else, or, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, we're no racist and we don't want you to turn us with that brush. So I, I, I think whilst it's, it's, some people see it as a sledgehammer to crack a nut, um, you just need to, you know, there's so Unfortunately, well, a society, there's so many. Is yes. a friend of mine when we were talking about this is talking about. He says, "Have you ever been to Salton Prison or Berlini, you know, or Peterhead? They're full of really bad people. And unfortunately, we can't stop some bad people or bad people with, you know, who who have an influence uh, coming to football matches. We just can't, you know. And it goes back to the positive side. It is like, you know, we get five and a half million people clicking through turnstiles every year in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't want this, you know, few, um, you know, getting us talking about these issues. I'd far rather be talking, you know, about the uh, resurgence of party thistle under Ian McCall. But, you know, I didn't talk about that. <laughs> I'm, doing, Paul, uh, I'm sure that'll be for another night, Bill. I'm doing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's a sad reflection, and it's those tiny amount that are, are, are causing this. Uh, and, and I agree with what you said earlier on. You know what? I mean, in a lot of the sectarian stuff, if you actually think back, nobody ever really talks about this, you know, putting context on it. It was, um, you know, at its peak during the, the Troubles in Ireland. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a, a significant 
piece of you know social history that you know we all lived through. Those of us that are old enough for that, and it was really, really particularly bad because it became a, a vocal point for it. Um, and, and I think you know things have moved on, things are better, the peace process, all these things have enhanced it. But there's still just the wee pockets here and there yes. where you know think that uh, it's the same as the racism. You know, I, I personally, I go to games every week. I've not heard the racist chant for 20 years, mm-hmm. and even then, it, you know, it, it, it was. It, it, be deemed to be unacceptable what the person said now it wasn't actually racist you know and, and you know what i mean mm-hmm, yeah. it was like yeah. it was more about that that big color laddie or well, you don't right. call him that you Can know it, it's that type of thing so yes. so it's kind of changed and you know we've got i think we've got to congratulate ourselves it is a lot worse uh, so it was a lot worse in the, in the past but um right throughout europe you know and, and throughout the world for that matter people are just saying you know you can't let football be a vehicle for this and you've got to applaud things like you know the england team with their uh, their approach in, in bulgaria and things like that um you know, and, and I think there's a lot of good that's come out of the, the UEFA thing, and even the fact it's putting a spotlight on and getting those fans to try and help self-police and getting the clubs to come out. And let's not forget Celtic Rangers, who a lot of this stuff, you know, is the fingers are pointed at, are not alone. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's other incidents at other clubs. Sure. And also Celtic Rangers do spend a significant amount of time and effort uh, behind the scenes with their community programmes and their charity work and all that, trying to combat that. So, you know, uh, there's another side to this, and they do fantastic jobs in those areas. It's just unfortunate, you know, they, they can't cleanse, you know, <laughs> everybody <laughs> or, you know, make sure that they actually monitor everybody getting in. So well, all the fans have got a, res- a responsibility. I'm going to stick know. my neck out a bit as well, and I think there is a, a problem, and it comes back to consistency. And I'm not going to say that there's inconsistency with UEFA, because I think UEFA are as consistent as UEFA can be with this. Where I see the inconsistency yeah. is where you get battered by UEFA but when the same thing happens domestically, you don't see the same response. And that's where I think there has to be a consistency. You know, the, the yeah. national governing bodies yeah. all over the, the world, they're all over Europe particularly, where it's UEFA that are in control, have got to come together and say, well, look, if this is what the teams have been punished for in a European tournament, it's no lesser... Uh, an affront to football and to us as a nation that it happens domestically. We have to adopt a similar line on it. No, absolutely. And, and and I think this goes back to previous discussions about things like strict liability and what it is. It's basically a tariff. Uh, so most of those countries in Europe have the same uh, applications of the UEFA rules in the league setup and league structure. Whereas, you know, we don't. And that, that, that comes, you know, we're one of the few countries, uh, I can't remember who the other one is, it's Kosovo or Albania or something like that, who don't actually adapt to the, the, the UEFA guidelines. So they have guidelines, and most countries say, well, if we can't do it in Europe, well, you know, should it be any different at a game at Stranra versus, you know, one in Sarajevo? It really shouldn't. So that that is one of the arguments for it. Um, you know, whether it's right or whether it's wrong uh, is, a, is a different thing. And then back to the what is racist, what is homophobic. You know, it's all those arguments for people with far better uh, qualifications than me can try and figure out. But as you say, Bill, you know, the fact that UEFA can look at it and say, that's racist, that's sectarian, and yet they can't do that at Hamden or, or you know, or, or anywhere else mm. that we know of is, is, is worrying. Uh, and that's that's you know opens up the uh, for debate and for uh, in some respects a bit of ridicule. We really it can't be fixed. Um, 
it can be. Um, and I know there's still work going on. I mean, there's, there's, we've attended three meetings with the Justice Minister, with the SFA, the SPFL, uh, a whole load of club delegations. Um, so that there's, there's still work going on in this. Um, you know, they're desperate to avoid uh, strict liability, but there's going to be something. There's got to be something. Because, again, it's, it goes back to your point about consistency, Bill. You know, Hearts had a problem, um, you know, last season, and they knew where the problem was coming from. It was a section of the ground. Hearts decided upon themselves to close that section of the ground. Yeah. Now, you could argue that's before anybody else. Now, if that same problem comes up, and I can't recall what it was, it was maybe the coin throwing. I'm not sure. I can't, my memory uh, can't remember. But I think it was Big Levine. I, I think it was Big Levine. It was getting too much stick, Paul. I think that's what she did. <laughs> she shut it down. She couldn't take any more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you might be right. But you know, the thing is, like, if Harris do that, and it's you know, everybody's applauding and saying, "Look, that's a really good thing." But if the same thing happens. Uh, you know, pick a random club, Dundee, you know, and they don't, you know, then where's the consistency yeah. for Scottish game? And so that's how I think there is valuable work being put in. And I know they're talking to all the safety officers and the chief execs at all the clubs. So, you know, they don't want it imposed upon them. So they've really got to come up with the alternative. And we've put our views on it, you know, and a lot of those views, you know, Bill and I have we've talked about for several occasions, but there's lots of real life examples out there where, um, you know, Feyenoord is a perfect example of a club where, you know, the fans were rioting, you know, but they were punished. They were thrown out of the competition. I think it was the UEFA, um, it wasn't the Champions League, it was the the, the UEFA Cup. And they actually... um, they actually, you know, have not had any major problems in five years mm. because the fans were, were not having this. Why should we be punished by these idiots? And and there are, especially in Europe, you know, we think we're bad with what we've got. But, you know, you look to, you know, neo-Nazis in Germany and racists in Bulgaria and, and Greece and things like that. There's a lot, a lot of problems right across Europe. Things that are harder to, to try and get your hands on um, that, that use football. So... It's a big challenge, um, uh, but at least you know we know there's a challenge, and you know accepting the, the fact that's uh, that's a starting point for it, and hopefully um, you know there's going to be it's going to be resolved. And I mean, all we can do is is, is you know is echo what the the clubs have done and say, well, if you are if you really care about your club, sure you care, but you know acting responsibly. That you know that's got to be the message to all the you know all the fans going to no matter what game it is. You know, but it must be. Um, um, Paul, it must be so difficult, you know, as as a club, you know, official, to be doing the work that they're oh. doing, and suddenly, Absolutely. you know, you know, they pipe up and start giving it large. Don't get me wrong. And dismantle you. everything. Hundred percent. And Paul saying the amount of yeah. work that's getting done, you oh, know, worldwide oh, yeah. right now. This isn't just here. Let's, this is this is worldwide. Let's you know? have a wee listen to our resident right wing uh, correspondent Liam Telford, <laughs> who's who's at us all the time, Liam, and it's always good to hear from him. He said uh, they should have a three strike rule, Bill. Three strike in ten year period, and then it gets wiped clean. Found guilty once, fine of a hundred thousand pounds. Guilty second time, game behind closed doors. Three times banned from the competition in Europe for five years and an automatic 20-point deduction domestically. 
Paul, uh, young Liam's a Hearts fan, so none of them will apply to his club. <laughs> Good on you, Liam. No, uh, listen, uh, you know, th- th- there are measures that are there just now, how effective they are, you can argue, but I, I think back to the point we made earlier, a lot of these instances are far lesser than what they were five years ago, ten years ago and it's the society moves on, football's tripe, it's playing catch-up in some respects yep. I think yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, and it is it goes back to my, you know, my, my passionate you know, uh, shout for the fans you know, five and a half million, you know 200, um, uh, going through the turnstile, you know, 270 arrests in a, in a season, you know, yeah. it, it's absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, the, the one stat that we threw at the Police Scotland when a, a summit with them a few years ago, uh, it was actually after tea in the park, and it was 300 arrests in the one day. in the park. <laughs> you know, I got over a weekend, you know, right, and, yeah. and I was saying, well, you know, how, why is the spotlight in football? And it's partly... We're on talking about football. It's partly that the fact that it's such it's such high media profile yes, and yeah. it's loved by so many. And you know that when it's when you're up there to be shot down before you start the whole game, um, and it's easy. You know the bigger the clubs are as well. And you know we're talking about Celtic Rangers and Hearts and all that. Yeah. Aye, the higher the profile, uh, you know all all the ones for the Diddy clubs. <laughs> you know, That's you're, nice. quite happy to have a go at them. Talking yeah. about talking about Diddy clubs, that was a good result for your team in Saturday, mate. Yeah, big time. <laughs> It was a wee bit surprising. And as the fans, as the fans, quickly before it was the fans behind the appointment, then are they quite happy with that? Oh, I think uh, absolutely. Uh, There's a lot, of, a lot of you know, pleasure to uh, you know to get him back. Cold you know, back, I think yeah. it was it, yeah. He, he, he left under difficult circumstances when he did, and I think still think he's you know he's had a great track record as a thistle manager previously. Um, you know, he kind of put things in motion for the, the year we, we got promotion, and he's got an eye for a player and things. So no, Good. I think um, there was there was a lot of happiness there, and you know, hopefully all the other off field stuff settles down to soon too, and we'll, we'll see where we get to. You know. Good. All right, Paul, thanks, thanks for again, being Paul. on with us, Cheers, mate. Buddy. Always good to talk to you. All the best. Pleasure. Thanking Cheers. you. Cheers, Take care. Ta-da. Paul Goodwin there from the Scottish Football Supporters Association talking to us. We will take a break. We will come back and we will look at Europa Cup and Europa League stuff. Love music. Live sport. Talking football with Bill Young and Hugh Burns on Rock Sport Radio. Okay, tomorrow night is Europa League night. Rangers are over in Portugal. We'll talk about them soon. But ahead of that, let's speak about Celtic, who are uh, at home to Lazio tomorrow. Uh, To speak to us about that, uh, we'll bring back our old friend. I'm never sure what name he's using, to be honest with you. Nima Tavali is with us tonight. Nima, how are you? (laughs) It's just that I see different people calling you different names. No, it's Nima Tale. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it, but there's always different names with you. Hey, listen, just looking at Lazio and you look at their European history recently, um, to be fair, they've lost four of the last five Europa League group stage away games. Not exactly a, a record that will strike fear into Celtic tomorrow. Absolutely not. Uh, away from home, they've been really, really poor. Uh, especially in Europe, and, and a big part of that is because they 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 have um, 
I mean, the first season when Simone Inzaghi took over, uh, famously, after, my, my, after Bielsa, who's now at Leeds, um, after he quit after only three days or four days, he, he said he was going to take over the job, and then he resigned four days later. And uh, Simone Inzaghi was appointed. The first season, uh, they played a really free-flowing attacking football. They conceded a hell of a lot of goals, but they also scored a lot. Then the second season, they 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 didn't concede as much, but then they have troubled uh, scoring as well. And this season, it's, it's back to it's 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 a mix of the the worst of both worlds. They're 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 score they're, they're conceding quite a bit, and they're not scoring as much, especially in Europe away from home. Um, and that is somewhat of a problem uh, for 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 Lazio. Nima, hi, it's you here. What we build here? What, what would the, the the thoughts of the Italian press? Uh, Lazio coming over tomorrow to Glasgow. Do they expect that you know to, to get to get through the tie? Well, they they do expect uh, Lazio to uh, for sure go through the group. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not that means uh, you know, uh, obviously Lazio they've got three points after two games. They lost a the game against Cluj, which was yeah. probably the worst performance in 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 one of the worst performances they've they've had in the last decade. I'd say they were absolutely unwatchable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, but then they they made amends for it against Rennes, uh, and then now now it's um, now it's uh, now, now it's kind of uh, you know they're up against the team who I think will 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 probably will probably be one of the one of the two teams who qualify from that group, and uh, I think this is this is crunch time now for for Simone Inzaghi to to kind of show that his side can can deliver consistently and not just. Um, have high high highs and really low lows, but to kind of even out that curve a little bit. Nima, has Inzaghi brought in a few players when he got the job? I take it they take the job in the summer. Has he been there from the summer just? No, he's he's been there for two years now. Oh, has he? Three years. Right, um, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Simon Inzaghi. Yeah, he was a he was a caretaker solution, uh, and he did such a good job. And he was gonna he was supposed to. I mean, Bielsa was supposed to take over, but Bielsa is called El Loco, the crazy one, right. for for several reasons. And yes. one of the reasons is that he's crazy. He's so happy about something. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's mental. I mean, the, I mean, I love the guy. I'm fascinated by the man, but I'm completely fascinated by him. But he is utterly insane. Yeah. Um, so, so I mean, he, he he accepted the Lazio job. I think it was two three summers ago, and then he just walked out. <laughs> yeah. Three four days after he signed. I mean, I don't I don't even think he was in charge of a training session. Even I mean, it, was, it was that that weird. Really. No one really knows what happened. But then again, Lazio are also owned by someone. Uh, the Lazio owner Claudio Lotito is 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 also insane. And that's never really progressed. <laughs> and two clearly insane people have to work together. So yeah. so that's why that happened. I'd say. But Nima, we we, we, we call that in Gla- we call that in Glasgow Nori in the heed. You need to. <laughs> Use that in your vocabulary if you do understand that. Maybe they're going to change would, their name to Madzio. That would be a great headline for yeah. you. That, that would be a bit different, you know. But I didn't realise he was here two years. I remember him being it. I think it was Inter or AC. He was, wasn't he, Inzaghi? No, no, no. That's 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 that's, that's his brother, Filippo, oh, who, right. who obviously had a better. Yeah, he had a better playing career. Obviously. Yes, yes. But as coach, but as far as coaching goes, Filippo's career has been really, really poor, and Simone Inzaghi's career is, is I mean, in my opinion, Simone Inzaghi is probably the most 
exciting name of the next generation of Italian coaches coming up. Uh, he's already won a couple of titles. He won the Coppa Italia with Lazio last summer. Right. Uh, this past season, uh, he's won the Super Cup. He's going to play the Super Cup again. He, he is a very good coach, and he, he has an ability to get the best out of his players. And what he's done at Lazio to win titles with that, with that team, that they're, they're hardly one of the richest teams in Italy. Uh, and, and still they've been able to to produce, you know, they've finished really high. They, they've been, they've always been in the contention to finish in the European places. They've always finished in Europe. So, um, no, he, he's a very, very good coach. No, no, no doubt about that. But this season, they've been a little bit too, too unstable uh, yeah. for, 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 for my liking. Where's the biggest problem? Is it at the back? Is it midfield? Is it the fact that they're just not converting chances? Where is it that you have most concern when you watch Lazio? I mean, this this season. Usually, I mean, that's that's what's so crazy. I mean, this uh, in the past they've scored loads of goals, but then they also hemorrhaged loads of goals. Then the last season he kind of t- tweaked that, uh, and then they didn't hemorrhage as many goals, but then they had trouble scoring goals as well. And a lot of that is down to uh, Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, obviously not having the fantastic season uh, he he uh, he had uh, in previous seasons. This season it's been a little bit touch and go. I mean. They've scored 16 goals, but they've conceded nine um, they, in, in eight games. Uh, it's, it's, uh, three of those goals that they scored and conceded was in a 3-3 mad draw against Atalanta uh, two, two weekends ago. Um, so so it is, it, 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 they're very moody in the sense that if, if it's one of those days where they feel they, they, they can score six goals, but in those days they can also concede six goals. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the kind of mad streak about them that Inzaghi is trying to get out of the team. Because when he gets them to follow his plan and, and his, his blueprint, they are such a, such a difficult team to break down. Yeah, We don't see as much as Italian football ball as we used to see here. In Britain, but well, I don't watch it anyway. Well, you don't like it, yeah, I know that. I, I, I quite like it. I, I, <laughs> no, he doesn't like it. He, I don't like foreign football. He doesn't watch foreign football, you know. So, so much for <laughs> it bores me. So much for getting you on, uh, Nima. I've got to say, but anyway, that's why know, I get him on because I can't talk about it with any faces. great authority. He's got more faces in the town clock. I've got to say, I but, can't talk about it with any great authority. But I always kind of watch it. I watch it. I see Lazio and I see this the the, the big stadium and you know there's gaps everywhere and you know. That, you know, yeah. you know what I'm saying. It's always kind of been like that. Yeah. You know, it's such a big stadium to fill and what have you. But I'll tell you something. You know, you'll not get an Italian restaurant open in Glasgow tomorrow <laughs> night because all the mad Italian <laughs> owners will all certainly be at Celtic Park now. Celtic Park on a European night is tough. You know, yeah. as you know, Bill and I both favour the the govern side of Glasgow. We're from the other side of the, the city, and uh, we we. But we, we also know how difficult it is for teams to go and win at Celtic Park on a European night. It's going to be a very, very tough gig for, for Lazio. And normally what I do, Nima, as you, as you know, because I've asked you this before, I usually say to people like yourself who are experts in whatever country football that the club come from, are they better at home or are they better away? But when you look at the record of lost the last four or five Europa League group away games, it answers itself. Now, Celtic is huge said yeah. in front of 60 odd thousand people and in full flow with good movement and playing with pace this could be a, quite a torturous night for Lazio if they're not on the game absolutely and I think Celtic 
Um, Celtic are a team that I, I mean, I think that Celtic can beat anyone at their stadium. Yeah, when yeah, they have a, yeah. when Celtic have one of those magical European nights, they can beat everyone, and they have beaten everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've beaten, they've beaten, they've beaten Barca. Uh, Barcelona Barca. when yep. they were at their mm-hmm. best. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so so no, the Celtic at home, it's a little bit, it's a little, like a little bit like Anfield, the European night at Anfield, isn't it? I mean, yes. they can, they can, they can be, destroy anyone uh, at home if the crowd get into it and they they kind of all hit it off, uh, then the energy, the sheer energy, raw energy can, 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 can lead them to destroy things and rip them apart. Um, so, so no, I agree with that. This is going to be a very tough game. I, as I said, I, I expect Celtic to, to qualify from that group. I think Celtic are a very good team, and I think the quality that Celtic have is, is good enough to get to the playoff rounds, uh, uh, to the knockout stages of the Europa League for sure. Um, maybe not win the entire tournament into the semi-final, but at least round of 16, I definitely... Nima, how, Nima how, how would you guys in the Italian place look at our game in general now? I mean the domestic game. We're not here to talk international football because you'll probably have a pop at us. So we really want to just kind of focus on <laughs> what domestic game. Um, how would you look at our league? Um, say compared to, to, to Serie A, how would you, you compare? Now, I know you're going to mention Rangers and Celtic, but how do you look at us as, as a, a domestic league? I mean, it's, it's it's always been Glasgow and uh, it's always been Rangers and Celtics sure. that, that have been known internationally, obviously, so especially for the past 20 years. Yeah. I mean, before that, you had teams like Aberdeen who mm-hmm. won European titles with Sir Alex Ferguson even uh, before he went to United. So, I mean, but 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 given how after the Bossman mm-hmm. ruling, pretty much, it, it kind of became a concentration of 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 the where the biggest teams just basically hoarded yes. all the big players and 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 I mean you know that that's also you can see that locally in every, in every country you see you see in, in in for example you know in, that happened in Scotland with Celtic and Rangers that you know you have that even in in Sweden with Malmo and uh, you know the, the teams that have the most money are the ones that kind of hoard all the, the sure. biggest talents sure. and therefore they can they can dominate so. So that's pretty much where, you know, that's where it's at. But most people would know only about Celtic and Rangers. Yes. But that's not just saying, you know, Rangers and Celtic are huge clubs in, yes. in the world football. In, in world football, historically speaking, have a massive following. Um, they're well known and they're also known for... When they play at home, they're <laughs> they're such a different, they're such a difficult, they're such difficult teams to break down. Yeah, and, and obviously and Rangers have had their troubles, and but they're building, they're, they're on their way up again. They are so. so. And where, and where do they, where do the Celtic fans, you know, who who would the Celtic fans fear tomorrow night? The Lazio team, who who are the big hitters? Who are the, who are the big earners and and the stars? Is uh, is De, is uh, mm-hmm. is Deco still there? No, 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 uh, no. Uh, Milinkovic Savic, uh, Sergei Milinkovic Savic, the Serbian player who's been linked to every big club in Europe for right. three, four years now. And the reason why he hasn't gone is because, uh, as I said, um, uh, Claudio Lotito, the Lazio owner, is pretty much impossible to do business with. Right. He, he decided three, four years ago that Milinkovic Savic would not leave the club unless he gets 100 million euros. <laughs> Unfortunately, no one wants to pay 100 million euros no. to take Milinkovic Savic. Sure. So, so even though you might think that he was worth it at one point, he certainly isn't worth it now. Um, but he's, he's still a fantastic football player, and he's still very young. But then, you know, Ciro Immobile, the, such a, the, the goal scorer, the man is 29 years old, he scored 103 goals in the Serie A. He's, won this, he's, won the, he's become the league's top goal scorer twice. Mm-hmm. 
uh, once with Torino uh, and now and two years ago with Lazio. He's the current top goal scorer in the city. on nine goals in eight games. You need to watch out for this guy. Mm. He's not the thing about Immobile is he's not the classical kind of superstar Italian striker in the mm-hmm. sense that he's not, he's, not, he's not like the Del Piero's and Filippo Inzaghi's of old. Yeah. Uh, some, you know, some would say that if he was that good, he would play for an Inter or Juve or, or bigger teams, but he's not. It's weird because the guy scores goals, but he's not, he's not very good at dribbling. He's not very, he's not, mm-hmm. you know, he's not. Just knows, he knows where the goals are. He knows exactly where the goals are. He right? knows where the goals are. He knows where the goals are. He scores for, he scores when he's having a good night. He can score four or five goals. No, yeah. no problem. So you have to, you have to watch him. You have to press him so that he's faced with his back against the goal when he gets the ball. If he's allowed to face the goal, with you know, with with the, with the ball, with his body towards the goal, he will finish immediately. Like he doesn't take many touches. He he shoots immediately, and then it's in the back of the net. Like that's the kind of uh, the striker he is. He's very um, he takes he he, he, t- he plays on. He takes his chances, if you know what I mean. Sure. What's, Sometimes what's, it's in the back of the net. Sometimes what's your prediction for tomorrow night? I, I think it will be a draw. I think either Celtic or win it will be a draw. I think 1-1 one, one or 2-1, two, 2-1, one, two, one, I think. Okay. That's what I would say. Because I, I don't I don't think it's going there. <clears throat> Celtic, I, that's not, that's not, you know, Inzaghi's too smart to do that. Um, but no, obviously knowing how well Celtic, the, the fantastic home record Celtic has. So I don't think he's stupid enough to do that. But, but I definitely see that if Celtic are lapsed, uh, in defensively and give them an inch, Lazio can, can and will hurt them, uh, especially with the trio of Correa, uh, Joaquin Correa, and uh, Chiri Mobile and Milinkovic Savic. Okay, Nima, thank you very Thanks, much Nima. for being on with us. Just before you go, Ajax nil, Chelsea one, Champions League full timer. Uh, there you go, that's uh, one for you. Nima, always good to talk to best, you, my Nima. friend. Thank, thank you, you very much. Uh, Nima Tavali there talking to us about Lazio. Yeah. stuff, Nima, who, didn't he? Oh, he always does, yeah. yeah well, we, we don't get any bums on here, no, you know. Absolutely. Uh, let's look at uh, tomorrow's uh, kickoff. I think it's the early kickoff tomorrow, isn't it, for Rangers? Yeah, it's an early one. The yeah. five o'clock ish one mm-hmm. uh, against Porto. Now, while we're talking about teams that have not been in particularly good form, um, they finished in the Primera Liga top three for the last 10 years. Nine wins and a loss in the last 10 games. 2-0 loss to Feyenoord in the Europa League. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won their last five Europa League matches before that. Yeah, very difficult uh, they are to beat in Portugal, that, there is no doubt. Um, I think when we look at the Portuguese league, you know, and ourselves, Benfica, you know, are always up there, aren't they? So you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something now, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna say it because I believe it. Mm-hmm. I find Portuguese players very cynical. I think they can be quite dirty, mm-hmm. and I think they're great ones for the play acting. Well, we just need to look at Pepe, don't you? That, that, that has played for years at the back for you know six. I find them. I find them. Even the Brazilians, yeah. I find, can be very cynical. Yeah, listen, if Rangers. Give it, you know, hard league or no hard league. It's still a, it's still a tough ask for Rangers to go to, to, to Porto and win the match. Uh, you know, uh, uh, how, how good it would have been if we'd have beat 
Young boys and and went over there just for and we should have to be honest you know, with I you. Don't, I don't mean a free hit, but it would have been because we've went and you know had such a good start. We beat Feyenoord, we were leading against Bern, uh, young boys, and then of course you know we cave and lose two one. So the pressure is on. I think it'll all come down to matches won at home and then what you can take away from home the odd point here or there for to qualify. Um, so I don't think we can be bursting and brimming with confidence on the back of what's happened at Tynecastle. But the flip side of that is, it can only get better for Tynecastle. But you know, sometimes I think Rangers are better suited playing in Europe. They seem to play with, they seem to be less inhibited, less shackled. Yeah, well that happens. You know, and maybe it's because of the expectation level isn't as great. That's right. You know, I don't know, but... But I've been impressed with Rangers in Europe over I, the last I two I seasons. I don't think they've put in a bad performance. I, and I think they could have beaten Young Boys. Yeah, I well, really do. They were a better I, team. You know, they should have beaten Young Boys. They could have beaten Young Boys. What they've got to do tomorrow is they've got to put the Hearts match behind them and move forward. If they came back with a point tomorrow, mm-hmm. I'd be happy. Without a doubt, I've got to agree with you. I think they, I think they're good enough on their, on their travels in Europe. I think they, they, it does suit them. And I think Ryan Kent will play. I think they'll they'll go and hit them in the burst and the break and what have you. Porto's going to have the ball. They're the home team. They're expected to break Rangers down. I think if Rangers be interesting to see how he takes it tomorrow night again. Who will he play across the middle? Um, and who will he play his two central defenders? Will he keep Katic and Golson? Will he play Tavernier? I think he will. Uh, for, for He's been playing Hollander when it comes to the European ties, hasn't he? He has. Will he bring Edmondson back in? I don't know. I, don't, I would have thought if he's going to bring anybody in at centre-back, it's going to be Hollander. I don't think Katic's played bad enough. He might go with a three. I just you think know? he said before previously that he feels Hollander has played more international level football. He did, it was a good point. Uh, and therefore yeah. that's why he put him in before. Well, that could be um, the case tomorrow. I and he's not looked exposed in any no, way. No, I don't think he's less... I think the pitch at Livingston found him maybe wanting a wee bit. Yeah, I would agree that with, with that, but it does with a lot of players. Of course it does, and he, he just was not ready for it, because it is such a... a, a it's a one-off pitch. Um, big match, as you're right, I think if we come back with a point, the Bears are... Does he play Kent? Yeah, I think he will because I thought Kent looked as though he had a right wee bit of pace about him on Sunday. He looked, he looked fat. He looked very fat actually. And uh, would, would he be hungry. would he be a wee bit conservative though about Kent bringing him on if he has to or if he needs to, uh, bearing in mind that they felt they'd maybe rushed him a wee bit putting him into the team. And he got injured again. It's are they go- are they going to take more care over introducing him back into a full ninety minutes again? Yeah, well, it's a no win situation that one, is it? Well, it's a win if you get him in and he scores a goal. Yeah, yeah obviously, yeah. but you have got to watch his long term uh, health, as in the hamstring. The hamstring is such a delicate, uh, you know, part of the the, you know, the body build, and when it's an injury in there. The least we stretch and away it goes again. Before you know it, I think it was probably more of a tweak than a than a than a complete tear. Mm-hmm. Or he wouldn't have been back just as quick. Uh, but he did look fresh when he came on on Sunday, and he must be in the manager's thoughts. What does he do in the middle of the park? Davis has got to rise to the occasion. Well, he play Arfield too. I think looks. But you need runners in Europe, Bill. You need guys with legs in Arfield will work very, very hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kamara, 
needs ball retention. Kamara keeps the ball. My problem with Kamara domestically is that I think sometimes he gets caught for pace. Well, he likes time on the ball. Now the good thing is, I think Europe may be offered him that. That's what I was going to say. And and for me, Europe, you'll see Barisic shine because of the type of games that they are. It's a game he's used to. It's a game that he plays with the ease and comfort. Mm -hmm. And from that point of view, I think that's when you see the best of Barisic. Not to say that he hasn't come on leaps and bounds Mm -hmm. domestically. He has. And he's getting down that wing again and putting those balls over. But I think European football still suits him far better. Yeah, I would agree. Totally. I think we've said that often enough that Borno Barisic... But I think Borno Barisic has kicked on... Yes, I agree. ...the last six weeks domestically. I think he's got better. He's got a run in the team. He's got fitter. He's whipping it into the box a bit more. Sunday was a bit different because there was nobody had passed marks that didn't allow Borno to go over the halfway line even to go and press the hearts right back so you know take that performance out of it uh, and his performances have been good enough to keep him in the team he's a good enough player he's got a, a great left foot um, I think you know the middle part Davis has got to stamp his authority we're in the dark a wee bit you know with, with Porto we don't know how good they are we know they're going to be at the top half of the Portuguese league that's a given year in year out I don't think that I'll be as big as the Porto of all, but they've still got to be well respected. Again, I think cause home advantage, we're probably expected maybe not to win the game. But, you know, what what a trip back coming back with three points and, and having more home games in the, in, the, in the Europa League. But I think it all goes back to Bern, uh, as in the... the, the, the um, the thing we game, the young boys game, and um, it's so disappointing with what happened there. But can we learn for that? Hopefully we can. I think he'll go with Morelos. I think Defoe's always there as backup. I don't think he'll start with Defoe. So he's got options up front. It'll be interesting to see how he plays the pack across the middle and who he brings into place. The, 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 th- the reason I would play Morelos is that the fact that I think Morelos, as a lone striker in Europe, can get the ball on the halfway line and he can still work and get to where he needs to be. Yes. I think Defoe obviously has to be close quarters. Defoe's 18-yard box yes. where he scores his goals Which mostly. Rangers, yeah, Rangers are not, I don't think, going to be in there as no. much tomorrow. No, and I, I think you give the ball to Morelis, he can roll players to perfection. Yep. He's then got the strength to go and take it forward and he's also got the technique to put the ball past the keeper Mm -hmm. from 20 yards yes absolutely you know proved that against young boys so you know I I think Morelis is an automatic for me Mm -hmm. I think you've got to start with him I'm not sure about the centre-backs, whether he'll stick with Katic or Holander. My gut tells me it'll be Holander just because of the experience he's got at that level you're going to have to wait and see and and Steven Gerrard's going to have to pick a team and at least talk to someone to say, look, when James Tavernier goes forward, you're going to have to tuck in there. You're going yeah. to have to cover him mm-hmm. because you've got to learn from that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much confidence Tavernier's lost from the weekend and, and the pace that he got on social media. Um, so And in the press, for that matter. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know. It's a difficult one. Rangers seem to be able to be... They seem to be good, though. And this comes down to, I think, Steven Gerrard's knowledge and experience of European football. Mm -hmm. They seem to be good at coming out and treating European games as a different game each time. There's no carryover or hangover from other things. And I think that's down to the manager's experience. I mean, I think he's, what, played over 100 games in Europe or something like that? Yeah. You know, it's just... Fast, isn't it? it, And it might even be more than that, but, you know, it's a huge amount of experience he's got. Yeah. Rangers look very comfortable in Europe. They do. I've, I've watched them now since he's come back and... 
even the, the campaign last year in the Europa League, they looked very strong, a wee bit unfortunate not to qualify for the last 16, but again, take uh, the young boys' result out of it, and I think they've kicked on again, and you know, it'll be interesting to see how the confidence levels are after Sunday, has he got them prepared, and uh, can we come out all guns blazing, because you know, you can have a go. You don't have to sit in all game. And I think with the, the way the Rangers play, and, uh, Alfredo getting the ball in the middle of the park, rolling defenders, Kent getting on it if he's doing it, and, and, and you know, you know, just keeping things tight at the back. I think Rangers fans are now beginning to fancy their team, even away from home, where we go, this is a hard game, I don't see us getting out, anything out of that. I think Rangers fans now have got, you know, high hopes of getting results at places like Porto. Uh, as I say, I don't think Porto of are of the, of the old mould and hard to beat. They're going to be hard, we know that. But They'll be quite physical, though. I they usually so. are. They, they are. Listen, a, a point is certainly within their capabilities. A, a point a, a would win, be a great result a for A win me. would be magnificent, but go, compete, keep it tight, and, and, and if you get an opportunity, take it. Get delivery spot on if Tav's on it. Um, I think Tavernier will start. I think he'll start with him. I don't think it's a, a time to rest him, drop him. Well, him. Flanagan's not in enough game time. No, absolutely. So I think he's he's got to play Tav. Tav, we need a, a performance off him and, uh, you know, keep things tight. Because right, it's a big prediction. Game. I think it'll be one each. I think we'll get a point. Okay. We're happy with one each. Mate. All right, yep. smashing. Thank you. We'll see you on Friday. That's yeah. it for us for tonight. Love music. Live sport. Talking Football with Bill Young and Hugh Burns on Rock Sport Radio.